His form blurring, he dropped and sprinted up the bank. Chader ran after him and was nearly on him, hand outstretched, ready to grab a fistful of his ivory-coloured tunic when something fell on her from behind. She collapsed and rolled instinctively away, coming to a stand with her kenshaw at the ready. But by the time she did, both of the boys were bounding away like a brace of desert hair. She was up and chasing them in a flash. Release me! she called, gripping Ashwande's finger tightly. Do you hear me? I command you to release me! But they didn't listen, and soon they were leading a chase into the tight streets of the knot, a veritable maze of mud brick that had been built and then built upon, so that walkways and homes stretched out and over the street, making Chader feel all the more watched as men and women and boys stared from the doorways and windows and balconies of their homes. Chader sprinted through the streets, wending this way then that, coming ever closer to reaching the boys. She reached for the nearest of them. Her hands even brushed his shoulder. But just then a rangy cat with eyes the very same colour of blue as the boys came running out from behind a pile of overturned crates and tripped her. She fell hard onto the dirt as the boys ahead giggled. She got up again, her shoulders aching in pain, and followed them down an alley. When she reached the mouth of the alley, however, she found not a pair of twin boys, but a strikingly beautiful woman wearing a jeweled abaya with thread of gold embroidery along the cuff and collar and hem. She looked every bit as surprised as Chader, almost as if she too had been following someone through the back-tracked ways of the knot. Could it be? the woman asked, her voice biting as the desert wind. The little wren, I've been chasing these many weeks. Chader had never seen this woman before. Tall, elegant, the air of the aristocracy floating about her like a halo. But her identity could be no clearer than if she had stated her name from the start. I'm no one, she said to Rumayash. Ah, but you are, sweet one. From the billowing sleeve of her right arm, a sling dropped into her hand. In a flash, she had it spinning over her head, the sound of its blurred passage mingling with Rumayesh's next words. You certainly are. Then she released the stone. Orcheda thought it was a stone. It flew like a spear for Chader's chest, and when it struck, a blue powder burst into the cool morning air. She tried not to breathe it, but she had been startled and took in a lungful of the tainted air. As she spun away, its scent and taste invaded her senses, fresh figs mixed with something acrid like lemons going to rot. Chader turned to run, but she had not gone five strides before the ground tilted up and struck her like a maul. The world swam in her eyes as she managed, with great effort, to roll over. Blinking to clear her eyes of their sudden tears, she stared up at the blue sky peeking between the shoulders of the encroaching mud-brick homes. In the windows, old women and a smattering of children watched, but when they recognised the woman approaching Chader, 
they ducked their heads back inside and shuttered their windows. Chaders Kensha was gone, fallen in the dusty street two paces away, though it might as well have been two leagues for all her leaden limbs would obey her. She'd somehow managed to keep Ashwandi's finger, though. Its leather cord had surely prevented it from flying away like her knife. Her throat convulsed. Her tongue was numb, but she chanted while gripping the finger as tightly as her rapidly weakening muscles would allow. Release me, Hedi. Release me, Makwo. Release me, Onondu. The only answer she received was the vision of the beautiful woman coming to stand over her, staring down with bright eyes and a wicked demon grin.